Good afternoon, producer Susan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Georgie Joe. How are you? I'm good. You have a good uh, Labor Day weekend. I did. Had a little football game. So you didn't you didn't travel th uh, 400 miles each direction to go someplace? I I traveled about 20 minutes to the stadium. <laughs> By the way, you told me that um, that uh, I think last weekend you said it was uh, like it was like the arrival for all the freshmen, and you ran into a woman at uh, the gas station from New Jersey. <laughs> Yep, and, yep. And she had to ask you how to pump gas because yep. in New Jersey, she never learned how to pump gas for herself. Yep. Not only did she not know how to pump gas, she also didn't know how to use the like pay at the pump feature. <laughs> That's by the way, you know, uh, about two months ago, Oregon, which is the only other state in the union that wouldn't let you pump your own gas, they gave up on that. So now Jersey's the only state in the union where you can't pump your own gas. And yet, the most astonishing thing to me is that your gas is still cheaper than Pennsylvania. That has to do with you the have state to pay labor costs on there. So imagine if you didn't have to pay labor costs, how much cheaper your gas would be. Even. It would be about 12 cents a gallon cheaper because that's what they estimate the cost of the attendant adds to a gallon is 12 cents. And by the way, and in a lot of gas stations around here after 11 o'clock at night, like if you're a nurse and you work and you don't get off till midnight, you can't get gas on the way home because all 90 percent of the gas stations close at 11 o'clock at night or some of them. Yeah, even don't close have that problem around here. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just pump the pump. All right. Hey, we got a we got a full schedule today. I doubt I'm going to get to all this, but uh, let me tell you what I I'm going to try to get to. You know who George Orwell is, right? Yep. 1984. We're going to yep. do a quote from George Orwell's book about how the past can be erased and how the lie becomes the truth. Um, I'm going to share with the, the listeners some truly startling data on homicide race uh, homicide rates by race in the United States. And I'll tell you which group of Americans is five times more likely to be murdered than members of any other racial groups in this country. It's really uh, sad and astounding. I, until I ran the numbers, I didn't realize how bad it was. And the most dishonest and deceptive thing I've, I don't have a stupid thing that I've heard all week, but I heard this is the most dishonest and deceptive thing I've heard all week. I'll tell you how, how some politicians and political consultants are using Greek letters in their emails to shield sensitive and potentially embarrassing communications from discovery by the Freedom of Information Act request. You know about those, right? Yep. All right. We'll tell you about the latest tactic being used by Mexican drug cartels that could turn you into an unwitting smuggler of illegal drugs. We'll tell you why the predictions that the world will reach a point of, quote, peak oil consumption and then start to see that consumption reverse and decline sometime in the next 20 years are complete nonsense. In a story you won't see report on TV, we'll tell you about a document that more than 1,600 scientists and professors, professors have signed declaring that contrary to what President Biden has said, these 1,600 scientists have said clearly unequivocally, unequivocally there is no global climate emergency and they've signed a declaration and they'll tell you why they think that way. Have you ever heard of something called the gun show loophole? Yes, I have. And if you listen to anti-gun people, they 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 like to claim, well, you can just walk into a gun show and buy a gun without a background check. Well, uh, we'll we'll tell you why that alleged gun show shoe loophole is a complete myth. It doesn't exist. And finally, in our taxpayer relief shot segment, it comes to us from every you know you know where a place called Munhall, Pennsylvania is. Munhall. 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 No, I don't. Apparently, know it's out that. near Pittsburgh. Well, in Munhall, Pennsylvania. Two armed thugs break into the house of this 58-year-old guy's and guns, and they start shooting at him. 
Unfortunately for them, he had a gun and he shot back. And apparently he was a better shot than they were because he shot back and he wasn't wounded, but he killed one of the two armed thugs. Okay. I just looked it up. I do know where that is. All right. So here we go. Quote of the week from George Orwell, 1984. And that quote is, everything faded into the mist. The past was forgotten and the lie became the truth. Now, the reason I, I picked on that, because I, on an almost weekly basis on this podcast, we talk about media stories that are either false or misleading, but are believed by the vast majority of the people who hear them on TV. We've talked about these things. You hear stuff on TV and we've debunked a lot of these stories, but the media keeps repeating these, these lies and these false narratives over and over and over to the point where, you know, the walk of the man of street. Well, did you hear about this? You know, uh, and those issues can range from, you know, climate emergencies, alleged increases in gun violence or how successful Biden's economic plan is working um, and, and uh, what is responsible for our growing national debt. But they're still trying to blame, blame Trump for the increase in our national debt. Um, by the way, I should have, you know, one thing I should have included and I will talk about next week. Biden released his uh, budget proposal for 20 for fiscal 2024, which starts October 1st, by the way. Do you know how much Biden's and, and your the president's budget proposal is not just for next year. It has to include a 10 year look forward. Do you know how much Biden's budget proposal has the national debt increasing over the next 10 years? I believe it was at 17 trillion, 17 trillion dollars. Yeah. But somehow the media is going to tell you that that $17 trillion going 10 years into the future is still Trump's fault. So that's where, um, you know, everything is fading into the mist. The past is being forgotten and the lie becomes the truth. That's just one example. I think next week we'll talk more about the $17 trillion of, of uh, increase in national debt over the next 10 years. And by the way, that's an unadjusted, uninflated dollars. Uh, with inflation the rate it is, that's 17 trillion will probably be closer. If they stick to the seven, if it doesn't grow beyond the 17 trillion uh, in 2023 dollars with inflation, it would probably be much closer to 20 trillion dollars over the next 10 years. All right. You want to talk about who's getting murdered in this country? Who is getting murdered in this country? Well, first of all, let me get a little background. Uh, in 2021, the FBI changed its software and reporting protocols for, for states and cities and counties to report data because they had this system that was in place and all the, you know, all the police departments had it. And, you know, every time they booked somebody, they would simply enter the data. They were all familiar that, well, in 2021, they went to a different system. You know, 60% of the jurisdictions didn't even download the software. And, and now they've got about they're getting about 70% reporting, but they still have 30 jurisdictions you're not reporting. So the most complete data we, we have at the moment is still the 2020 data. So these numbers I'm, I'm going to give you are from 2020. Well, in that data, the, and this is the, they call it the Uniform National Crime Report. The FBI showed that there were 17,815 non-justifiable homicides committed in the United States. So why did I need to add the word non-justifiable? Are there any other types of homicides? Uh, well, a self-defense, but that then wouldn't be considered homicide. Yeah, actually it is. Oh, is it? Okay. When a police officer uh, shoots somebody in the line of duty or a homeowner or a taxpayer leaves shots, the, 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 um, 
the coroner will, will rule that as a homicide, but it's a justifiable homicide. So when I talk about 17,815 non-justifiable, those essentially murder. It's the crime of murder. All right. So the, actually, uh, the police kill about 1,100 people per year. And as we've talked, the homeowners kill about 500 people per year. So you're closer to 20,000 total, but the non-justified ones are 17,815 in 2020. Now, in 2020, the population of the United States was 333 million. Uh, so if you divide 17,815 by 333 million, you come up with a national average homicide rate of 5.3 people per 100,000 population, uh, which actually, you know, that, that's like 0.5% of being killed. Uh, you know, your chance of being killed are actually 0.05% of becoming a victim of a murder. But then if you look at those statistics by race, you find the following startling differences. <clears throat> For people who are of white Caucasian, including white Hispanics, which are 75.5% of the population, that homicide rate drops from an average, national average of 5.3 down to 2.04 per 100,000, less than half. And then if you look at the Asian and American Indian homeless, and they FBI groups Asian American Indian into the same bucket, that's 7.9% of the population. The rate drops even further to 1.9 per 100,000. Then the only other racial category the FBI tracks is Black African American. Uh, which are 13.6% of the U.S. population. You want to now with the national average being 5.3. Do you want to take a guess at what the homicide rate per hundred thousand is among the African American community? So I'm going to take a guess that it's unfortunately higher, seven uh, percent. How about 18.7 per hundred thousand? So remember, the national average is is five among whites and Asian and American Indian. It's it's right about two, and within the African American, it's eighteen point seven homicides per hundred thousand population, and you get that number by there of the seventeen thousand eight fifteen total homicides, eight thousand four hundred sixty nine were African American homicides, and they comprise forty five point three million people. So if you divide um, uh, 8,469 by 45.3, you come up with 18.7. But now let's go back a little further. Um, if we back out that that 8,469 from the total of that 17,815, you'll find the number of annual homicides experienced by all other racial groups combined in this country is 9,346, right? 17,815 8, minus 8,469, you come up with 9,346. Well, if you divide 9,346 by the remaining 288 million population, which is all other groups besides African-American, the rate for all other groups drops from that national average of 5.3 down to just 3.25 per 100,000. Um, so it's startling. And this brings me back, we've talked about this quote before, so why is it happening? I'm going to go back to the quote by then Senator Barack Obama in his Father's Day speech, 2008. And for those who missed it, here's the speech he gave on Father's Day, 2008. Quote, we know that more than half of all black children live in single parent households, a number that has doubled, doubled since we were children. We know the statistics that children who grew up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime nine times more likely to drop out of schools 
and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They're more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from home or become teenage parents or themselves and the foundations of our community are weaker because of it. And as I've said before, when there's not a father in the home, the gang becomes the family unit and the gang values become your values. And, and, and the gang values are if somebody disrespects them, dis disrespects you, you shoot them. And, and I mean, that's my take. Do you have a different take? No, it's it's sad, but unfortunately, uh, probably very real. So it's just sad. It, you know, it's a social problem that translates to, you know, a, a, to a societal problem. Uh, but within the African-American community, it's just it's epidemic. Uh, and again, it, it's it's sad that almost half the homicides in this country occur in the African-American community, primarily, by the way, in inner cities. We talked about this before, Baltimore, Chicago, St. Louis, New Orleans. It's, it's just really sad. And Philadelphia, I believe, is always. And, and Philadelphia is right up there, too. And Washington, D.C., by the way. All right. So have you ever done a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act request? I have not. I have, actually. I've done a couple. I, I one time did a FOIA request to the state of New Jersey. I wanted to know how many uh, concealed carry permit application they, they'd received and how many they approved and how many they denied. Anyway, when you do that, you typically say, you know, I want all documents, you know, concerning this word or including this word or that word. Well, in Michigan, uh, you're familiar with the the Flint, the, the, the problems with the Flint Michigan. water system, the lead pipes. Yep. yep. Well, the governor and she had consult consultants and because they didn't want these emails to be discovered in a subsequent Freedom of Information Act request, what they agreed to do, what her staff and this these outside consultants Whenever they use the word Flint, as in Flint, Michigan, they would spell the word Flint containing one or more Greek characters. So that if you send in a, if you were a reporter and you asked for uh, copies of all correspondings that mention the word Flint, you know, all they do, the, the people who do these searches simply do a, a word search. I'm sure you've done a word search in a, in a yep. word document. Yep. You type in the word and you say, you know, and you know, the word software will tell you, you know, we found, you know, 36 occurrences of the word and then it will show you where those 36 occurrences were. Well, when you do that, if the if you ask for uh, documents, including the word Flint, but instead of I, it's got the Greek character Iota mm -hmm. in it, the, 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 the word Flint spelled with Iota instead of the English letter I won't show up. Can you think of anything more? deceptive and dishonest than intentionally disguising yeah words with Greek that, characters. that's downright with intent to conceal and yeah intent to defraud i would say intent to defraud defraud oh goodness all right let's move on to becoming a drug smuggler have you heard the term blind mule i have so i'm um, so you probably know what it is for those who don't the latest trick the cartels are using um on the southern border at all these border crossings, you know, a lot of the border guards, the border custom and border will look at who the traveler is, how many times they've gone back and forth. Is this guy suspicious? Does the story make sense? But there are literally thousands of people a day drive from the United States mm -hmm. into these Mexican border towns for, you know, for cheap liquor, cheap drugs, cheap dental. You know, there's, I mean, you know, there's, they go back and forth. If you look at the if you look at the show to catch a smuggler, I mean, there's literally thousands of cars a day going back and forth. And your typical American tourist doesn't raise the suspicions of the Border Patrol guards. Hey, why'd you? Oh, you went down to have some dental work done. Okay, great. You can go. 
Well, what they're doing is why these American cars are parked in shopping centers and outside doctor's offices. They're pulling up in uh, in trucks and they're sending a guy out and they've got these, you know what a niobium magnet is? These really powerful magnets? Yeah. Niobium, I didn't pronounce it correctly, but there's these, they have these drugs that inside the wrapper, they have these incredibly powerful magnets and they're sticking these bundles of drugs on the underside of the car, along with the GPS tracking mechanism. So when these people drive their cars back across the border, assuming they make it through the uh, Customs and Border Patrol, uh, the uh, the drug cartels then use the GPS tracking device to find out where the car is. And by the way, they tend to pick on cars with Texas, Arizona, and California license plates. Uh, and then they simply send their uh, their U.S cartel members over to crawl under the car typically at night and just pull these packages of drugs uh off the bottom of the car now they've they've the drug sniffing dogs by the way have found half a dozen of these cars um and the people driving the car say we had no idea and and the and the customs border patrol is agreeing with them and they're not charging the drivers but um that that's assuming you can convince customs and border patrol that you were an unknowing accomplice to smuggling drugs. But um, if you live in Texas, California, or Arizona, and you're driving across the border, um, be careful because you could wind up being a drug smuggler. Any any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I, I never thought about, you know, I, I we live too far from the border to drive across, but yeah, that's, I guess, a real threat. Well, you know, people sometimes they'll fly to like San Diego for a conference and somebody said, well, let's rent a car and go down to Tijuana. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tijuana is like 25 miles from. And so if you even do a rental car, um, you take your rental car to Tijuana, come back, you could be smuggling drugs. All right. You want to move on to peak? Have you heard anybody talk about peak oil? No. Well, climate, a lot of climate change activists are saying, you know, if we have enough windmills and we have enough electric vehicles and we get rid of gas stoves and blah, blah, blah. The, US, uh, the United States in, in the next 20 years will reach something called peak demand, where the demand for fossil fuel products will start to diminish and then level off and then start to decline. Um, and we'll actually reverse and we'll be used. So 30 years from now, we'll be using less oil products globally uh, than we are today. But let me tell you why that's uh, complete nonsense. In addition to various types of vehicle and jet fuels, oil is the raw commodity used to produce more than 6,000 other non-fuel products, ranging from plastics to fertilizers to aspirin uh, to asphalt for, shingle, for shingles and paved roads. By the way, more than half of all the oil produced in this country, uh, excuse me, less than half of all the oil pumped in this country gets turned into some sort of fuel. The rest gets turned into products. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yes. Less than half of the oil pumped in this country is turned into a fuel that is burned. The rest is turned into, again, fertilizers, asphalt, shingles, aspirin, plastic. plastic. So anyway, so uh, per the linked analysis uh, of the 1 billion people who lived in developed countries like the United States, Canada, Europe, Japan, Australia, their average per capita consumption of oil, and again, this is oil and all the oil-derived products, is 13 barrels of oil-derived products per year, not fuel, products, which includes. So there's 8 billion people in the world. So what about the other 7 billion people living in undeveloped countries like China, India, North Korea, 
Central Africa and large portions of Central and South America where car ownership is rare and the use of other petroleum-derived products still lags far behind the rest of the world. You want to take a guess at what their per capita oil consumption is? Uh, so if ours is 13 barrels, uh, 10. Three. Oh. Three. So look at it this way. So even if those developed countries like the U.S., Canada, Europe were to cut their consumption back from 13 to 9, mm -hmm. all right? Let's say we can reduce it by 40%. As the rest of the world continues its economic development, those countries, which are seven times larger than the developed countries, as they go from three up to up to the this reduced target of nine, that increase of six barrels per person for those other seven billion people will obliterate any reduction by the one billion people living in developed countries. So no, in your lifetime and your children's lifetime, we will never reach a situation of peak oil consumption. Uh, it just can't happen. Uh, unless you, you want to disagree with me? No, I, it makes sense. Okay. How much time we got left? Oh, you got about 15 minutes. All right, good. So we're rolling right through this. I could have spent more time in that, but uh, don't want to drag it out. Uh, by the way, a little editorial note. Uh, when I used to work at Carrier, we would look at countries... And as their per capita income would grow, like in China, you could predict as per capita income hit a certain level, the first thing uh, people in those countries would buy would be a refrigerator mm -hmm. or a stove. And then this, or, I'm sorry, it was stove first, then a refrigerator, um, then a washing machine for their clothes. Mm -hmm. And then the next item, uh, and then it was a television, and then it, then it would become an air conditioner. So we could predict looking at the per capita income trends at what in what year or years would a country begin to start buying residential air conditioning units? What's well, the mm -hmm. same thing with with and that that prediction of where these when they're going to start to buy what appliances goes hand in hand with their increased in uh, the consumption of oil derived products. And again, a lot of those products I just mentioned are built with oil derived products like plastics. All right. Mm -hmm. You've heard President Gleiman declare a global climate emergency. Mm hmm. Well, there's a uh, petition that's just been signed by 1,600 PhDs, professors, and scientists from around the world, not just the U.S. They've signed a document declaring that there is no global climate emergency. Um, and here's a quote from the story. International scientists have jointly signed a declaration dismissing the existence of a climate crisis and insisting that carbon dioxide is beneficial to the earth, contrary to the popular alarmist narrative. And here's a quote, there is no climate emergency, the Global Climate Intelligence Group, it's called Clintel, said in its World Climate Declaration, which was made public in August. Climate science should be less political, while climate policy should be more scientific. Scientists should openly address uncertainties and exaggerations in their predictions of global warming, while politicians should dispassionately count the real costs as well as the imagined benefits of their policy measures. A total of 1,609 scientists and PhD professionals from around the world have signed that declaration, including 321 from the United States. So any reaction to that? Yeah, you know, the, the calendar says September, but the weather says July. <laughs> so it must it, be a climate crisis. But it must be a climate crisis. And let's have um, this conversation again in January, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you're buried in snow and it's 20 below and you will never hear me complain about how much snow was on the ground <laughs> right. 
All right, so let's move on to the the myth of the gun show loophole. You know, anti-gun people, oh, gun show loophole. They, they they want you to believe, and I think some of them actually believe that you can walk into a gun show gun show and buy a gun without going through a background check, which is not true. Not true. And, uh, and the reason the so-called gun show loophole is a myth is that the laws pertaining to the sale of guns and ammunition inside the four walls of a gun show are identical to the same gun laws that apply outside of a gun show all the other days of the year so there's nothing that you can do inside a gun show that you can't do outside of a gun show now people say well yeah but there's guys and there's unlicensed gun no um first of all i've been to does literally dozens of gun shows in different states and they all have this big sign no floor sales permitted you know what that sign means and why they have it yeah, because you can't, because contrary to popular belief, you cannot walk into a gun show and buy a, a gun off the floor. Well, you can buy you can buy it from a gun dealer who has a table, but a floor sale means you mm -hmm. can't walk in there with a gun over your shoulder with a for sale sign on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, the organizers of gun shows say if you want to sell products at our gun show, you have to rent a table, and depending on the size of the gun show. The weekend rental for that table is either, you know, is going to range from $300 to $750. Nobody looking to sell one or two guns, you know, mm -hmm. privately owned guns is going to walk into a, and by the way, a lot of states, even if you're a private seller, you still have to do a background check. But let's mm -hmm. assume you're in a state that doesn't have uh, background checks for private sales. If you're one of those private sellers and you have one or two guns you want to sell, mm -hmm. you can't sell it at a gun show unless you rent a table. And I've never seen anybody who wanted to sell one or two guns was going to pay $300 to $750 to rent the table. And by the way, mm -hmm. they also have no no floor sales and no parking lot sales because they don't want people selling guns in yep. the parking lot. And they'll actually send the security guards out in the parking lot about once an hour to make mm -hmm. sure nobody's got his trunk open uh, selling guns out of their trunk. So, no, private people are not selling selling guns at gun shows uh, without doing background checks. And every gun dealer in there who has bought a table if you're a federally licensed gun dealer it doesn't matter where you sell that gun whether it's in your shop or at a gun show you are still required under federal law to perform the federal background check that's atf form 4473 so no there is no gun show loophole because you can't do anything inside of a gun show that isn't done outside of a gun show does that make sense yeah, absolutely. And it's not, you know, you, if you want to sell a gun to your buddy, you know, it's not realistic for you to perform a background check. So, and I've been with friends who, who do this, we go up to the local gun store and we pay a small fee for the shop to do that for us because they're equipped to handle those sort of things for us. Right. And the majority of states, uh, by the way, uh, do have something called universal background checks. And when I moved from Colorado mm -hmm. to New Jersey, I had a couple of guns that New Jersey said were illegal in the state of New Jersey, and I had to sell them. Now, I, I, I found a guy, I knew the guy, and he wanted to buy my gun. And I knew he was a good guy. Uh, but I didn't want it. But in Colorado, they have a universal background check law. And if I were to simply sell him the gun without going through the formality of a background check, and at some later date, somebody was killed with that gun or the gun was stolen and they traced it back to me, I'd be in big trouble. So I said, Frank, I said, I know this is a pain in the butt. I know you're a good guy. You're not a criminal, you know, but 
you're gonna have to meet me over at this gun store and we're gonna have to pay the 25 bucks yeah and it's we, a small fee to for you know yeah for the peace of mind so now i did it so yes i sold him my i sold him one of my guns it was like a 700 dollars gun and i you know paid the 25 bucks but we did it at the gun store and you know like and that's a small fee to pay to right. make a 700 sale yep so anyway there so anyway so the the point is this thing about gun show loopholes is a myth. Uh, private sellers are not at gun sh uh, selling guns at gun at gun shows because they're not they're not renting tables, and gun dealers still have to do a background check. So, all right, how much time we got? Not about a good five, six, seven minutes. All right, so let's talk about our taxpayer relief shots, and we call them taxpayer relief shots. And I will let the sheriff of Santa Rosie. Santa Rosa County, Florida, explain to you why we call them taxpayer leap shots. And here we go. Somebody's breaking in your house, you're more than welcome to shoot them in Santa Rosa County. We prefer that you do, actually. Hopefully, you'll save the taxpayers money. And again, uh, when we talked about this before, if you send a criminal to jail, if you have a trial and, and wind up convicting a thug and he goes to jail for 10 years, that costs the taxpayer a million bucks. So we're going to go to Munhall, Pennsylvania. Which do you know where Munhall, Pennsylvania is uh, located next to? What famous attraction? No. Kennywood, which is one of the oldest amusement parks in the country from the really? 1800s. Okay. I didn't know that. I knew it was out near Pittsburgh. I didn't know it was right there. All right. Munhall, Pennsylvania. One of these two thugs is a former Marine gone bad. Here we go. This a classic case of self-defense. He told me earlier today that he has no plans to pursue charges against the man who he says shot and killed a would-be intruder who took aim at him first. Put yourself in that type of position. I mean, you come out, you're protecting your property, you're protecting your wife, you're protecting yourself. So By the way, this is the district attorney that's speaking. I'm going to back this up for you here. He says shot and killed a would-be intruder who took aim at him first. Put yourself in that type of position. I mean, you come out, you're protecting your property, you're protecting your wife, you're protecting yourself. Somebody opens up on you and you return fire. Allegheny County DA Steve Sapala says that is exactly how it all played out in this dark alleyway in Munhall late last Monday night. An exchange of gunfire that ended with 23-year-old U.S. Marine Corporal Andrew Stevens shot dead in his tracks. He is trained with a weapon, but... On this particular evening, he didn't hit his target. We were allowed to come along as homicide investigators got a closer look at the crime scene today. Guys yelling at Based on forensics and eyewitness accounts, police are now convinced that the 58-year-old homeowner, John Rosgani, fired with deadly force only after Stevens took the first shots with a 45 caliber handgun. He's very upset about this and... and uh, he didn't set out to hurt anybody on that particular day. 23-year-old Sean Conroy was also arrested that night, charged as an accomplice in the late-night burglary turned deadly. The homeowner, who police say did what he had to do to stay alive, could not be reached for comment. The day after his brother's death, Scott Stevens released this statement saying, I am deeply saddened losing my brother in such a tragic way. Sad for all of us, our family, and the homeowner. DA says that with this decision, this case is closed. The lives of two families forever changed. Reporting live here in downtown Pittsburgh, I'm Tamika Artist, Channel 11 News. Hang on, let me close this up. And by the way, do you know that the accomplice can be charged with murder? Yes, because uh, in the... Uh, a, a death, death in the... Death during a felony. The, during the commission of a felony. So yeah. yes, the accomplice... 
uh, even though he didn't kill anybody, can be charged with murder under state law. So mm -hmm. that's that's it. And again, 58-year-old guy uh, winds up defending himself. Uh, let's see, is there anything else before we wrap up here? Um, well, that's all I got today, unless you have something you want to add. No, but you, you would appreciate this. Uh, Kennywood, which is next to Munhall, Pennsylvania, they, uh, in the spring, you know, it's typical of a lot of high schools, schools in general, to do different field trips to different places. And, you know, Kennywood's an amusement park. Um, so it's sometimes hard for teachers to justify why you would take your class to Kennywood, but, uh, they do physics day at Kennywood okay. and they have a, a physics worksheet that they hand out so that kids can actually learn something while they're riding roller coasters. So <laughs> it's, the, it's the force of the roller coaster and the speed and yeah, they centrifugal have a force, uh, force equals mass times acceleration and centrifugal. Yeah. Force. So yeah. all the different rides in Kennywood, they do, uh, it's called physics day and it's a big thing for the schools in the Pittsburgh area. They all go to physics day and. And it's a fun, it's just a fun way for, for kids to learn about math and physics. Well, that's great. While that's riding great. roller coasters. I learn something new every day. All right. Yeah. We're right out of time. So I want to thank all of you who listened to this podcast for giving up 30 minutes out of your day. Um, if you found these topics interesting, as important as I did, I hope you continue to listen to the podcast in the weeks and months to come. If you want to see some materials and story links you heard me talk about today, you can find them on the Jersey Joe website at uh, jerseyjoe.com and uh, again jersey spelled with an r and a z j-e-r-z-e-e -E -E, jerseyjoe.com um, if you want to send me an email just do that by sending me an email to joe at jerseyjoe.com and uh, that's all i've got unless you want to add anything producer susan no did you have a good holiday i had a great holiday just uh, went over to some nearby to relatives had a little barbecue and uh, uh, just took it easy yep all right all right. Talk to you next week. All right. Stay cool. Because right, it's not warm. It's warm out there. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>